Hallelujah. Amen. How many know it's because of his goodness? <laughs> Pastor Robert Moore, do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> his goodness and his mercy toward us. That's why we praise the Lord. Is that not right? Let's put our hands together and give the Lord a praise this morning. Praise God for the, the, the newest music ministry in the church. One praise. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Just so it, it was just a blessing to see so many of our formerly inactive young adults standing up in the choir loft, offering praise. Come on, say amen, somebody. We just thank God for what God is doing in Glenville. Would you say amen? It's always a blessing to have uh, uh, a pastor emeritus and his uh, <laughs> and his wife here with us, Pastor and Sister Moore. I don't know why we don't do emeritus in the Adventist Church, but you are officially emeritus. Yeah, y'all look that up and figure out what it means. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Only thing is with that doc, that means you got to preach every now and then. You know, like once a year is not good enough for us. You know, we kind of kind of need to see you a little bit more, man. You know, <laughs> but uh, Pastor has a lot of responsibilities and. Uh, in his absence, he often sends his wife, who's here worshiping with us. Amen? Amen. And so since he's here today, I see she came down from the balcony to sit next to her man. Amen. Praise the Lord. What an example. Praise God. <laughs> but we know who's in charge of that relationship. Come on, say. <laughs> Just like in mine, my wife is running the show. And the sooner you men figure that out, the better off you'll be. Amen. <laughs> Learn that now, Pastor Coxum. Learn it now, brother. Learn it now. That's right. Amen. Yes, dear. Gets you out of a lot of trouble, doesn't it? Yes. Yes, dear. Amen. Praise the Lord. We just want to encourage you right now to join us in the book of Hebrews chapter 9 while we get some kind of fans blowing up in here. Amen. Can I get a witness? It's getting hot in here. But don't take off all your clothes. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Let's just, let's get some, let's get some circulation in, in the house. Amen. Praise God. Y'all, y'all have many ways of letting the pastor know not to preach long. So just sweat him out, sweat him out. Well, somebody said it's just, it's just right, huh? It's always better cold than it is hot. You can make yourself warm. You can't do nothing when it's hot, amen? You stuck. You can try to wave that little bulletin all you want. It ain't going to do nothing. <laughs> Struggling. Praise God for uh, you, and we uh, just want you to know we, we missed y'all just a little bit. On the vacation, just a little bit. Uh, uh, but, you know, we enjoyed ourselves. Amen? Glad to be back. Um, want to thank the Lord for Pastor John Coxum. Amen? Listen, uh, since, we, since we have uh, conference officials in here today, uh, Doc, look, man, you'll never be able to return to Glenville if y'all pull this man away from us. I'm just letting you know that, man. The red carpet is open for you now, Doc, but... The minute that Coxum has to leave, man, I don't, how are we going to accept this man back into our fellowship? I don't know. I don't know how, how we'll be able to do it. And I want you to know he's doing a horrible job. He, he needs to stay here until he gets this thing right now. He, he does not have it figured out. You're struggling, aren't you? He doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> we know at some point Pastor Coxum's got to go, but how many are being blessed by his ministry now? Amen. Amen. We thank God for this young man with the old soul. Praise the Lord. Thank God for all the officers of the church and all y'all that hung in there. Stand with me as we open the Bible to Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 11. Thank God for these musicians today and the choir and the worship. I love these two services, y'all. I'm having a blessed time. I don't know about you, but I am. Yes. Let's take a vote right now that we keep doing it. All in favor, say aye, aye. It's carried away. I don't need, I don't need your vote. I'm, I carried it right there. All right, Hebrews 9, uh, verses 1 and through 11, and uh, just stay, pay attention, obviously, to the text. It should be on the screen. Once it gets there, I'm going to need your help uh, walking through this passage of Scripture today. I want to talk about living outside of the box. Now, uh, most of the time, they talk about businesses and corporations. They say, think outside of the box. I, I want us to live outside of the box, amen? And this is for the stuck soul in here today, the person that's just just in a rut and they can't seem to get out of it. 
by the grace of God, we're going to learn from the most holy place how to come up out of your rut. Amen. The Bible says now the first covenant had regulations for worship. We're preaching on the first covenant. And also an earthly, what everybody? Sanctuary. Verse 2, a tabernacle was set up in the first room were the lampstand, the table, and the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Verse 3, we've been learning that. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of, keep reading, and the covered ark of the covenant. This ark contained, and that's crucial right now, the word ark actually means container. That's all it means. From Noah's ark to this ark, it just simply means that which contains something. The Bible says the ark contained, look at these three things here. The Bible says what? A gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded. And the third thing was the stone tablets of the covenant or the Ten Commandments. Verse 5. Above the ark were the cherubim. Cherubim is a glorified term for, for mighty angels that exist in the presence of God. The Bible says above the ark were the cherubim of the glory. Somebody say of the glory. Now, it's generally a capital G. Is it a capital G in your Bible? Basically, that means these were the angels of the glory. Glory meaning God. They lived in the presence of God. The Bible says, overshadowing the atonement cover. Verse uh, continues, but we cannot discuss these things in detail now. Now, I want you to go to verse 11. When Christ came, that's it. Father in heaven, today we thank you for coming we know that you are coming again, but you are coming for a people that's delivered. God, there are so many of us that are oppressed by life and we are in the church, but we're oppressed. We have shackles on us that we have accumulated through life and we just can't seem to come up out of the rut of our experience. Our faith needs to increase. Our love needs to increase. Our worship should be more genuine and sincere. Our witness should be more powerful. But God, we're stuck. Help us to learn today from your word how to come out of the Ark of the Covenant and help us to explode in the glory of God is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Before you sit down, just shake your neighbor's hand and tell them it's time to come on out. Tell them it's time to come on out. It's time to come on out. Yes. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Now, uh, shut those, shut at least these two doors for me on this end so that nobody's tempted to distract us from the front. Uh, uh, let's just review for a minute. Uh, the tabernacle, uh, really saints, and I want you to listen to me carefully, at least on the front end, as we're trying to do the best we can to lay down some context. Uh, before people can understand or make judgments about who you are, they at least need to know your story. Would you say Amen. Yeah, just don't walk up on me because you've seen me do some things and make judgments about me. Find out where I came from first. Find out who my mommy and daddy were. Find out what I've been through. And so uh, one of the things that an abusive preacher to the Bible will do is he will preach a text and he won't give you context. He won't tell you what the circumstances are. He will just jump in there and he'll pick out something and throw it at you. And it's totally out of context. But by the grace of God today, I want to sit this thing right dab in the middle of the situation and circumstance that in which it dwelled. Understand now that the tabernacle or the sanctuary was a dramatization. Somebody say dramatization. It was a play. Really. It, it, it had no power. It could not forgive sins. For Now check out God. God says... For 2,000 years, really, for 2,000 years, I want you to act out what I am doing in your life. Did you hear what I just said? The sanctuary was nothing more of a everyday dramatization of what God was going to do. The priest walked in with the sacrifice. It was an act. It was a play. The sacrifices couldn't help anybody. They couldn't save anybody. Uh, this was simply a faith move on God. He says in Psalms, he says, thy way, Psalm 77 says, thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. So give me, the, give me your minds for a minute. Understand this. If you want to 
to understand the work of God in your life, the plan of salvation, it is necessary for you as a Bible student who's committed to knowing God's word. You just, we don't have show up Christians here, right? Right? We don't have folks that just show up, right? And shut up and do nothing. We got saints in here that are hungry for God's word. Am I in the right church today? Who, who want to know what it is that God is trying to do. And I want you to know, for those of you who are Bible students, any Bible students in here, I'm just checking. Anybody been in their word this week, right, right? For those of you who are serious about knowing what God is up to in your life, I commend you to study the sanctuary. The sanctuary is a blueprint for how God works. I'm going to say that one more time. The sanctuary is a blueprint for how God works. Now, won't you say it with me? The sanctuary is a blueprint for how God works. And the main premise of this play, anybody ever been to a good play before? A play can inspire you, you can laugh, you can cry, but that play, it can't come in your house and fix your husband, right? That play, that play can motivate you, but it's just a dramatization. It shows you how life can be. This is what the sanctuary does. Understand now that that when one considers the sanctuary, it's important for us to to recognize that the sanctuary's number one problem uh, was its limitations in being able to really show us what God is up to. Now, now stay with me for a moment. If we were to use the sanctuary as a metaphor for our lives, many of us have seen God work. We've seen the play over and over again. Like to sit here and tell me that you're not blessed and that God has never worked in your life. Okay, if you're not dead, then you're blessed. Really? Like, come on, for real, is that bad? No, if you're alive, and that's some of you aspiring back to me. I put a video on Facebook yesterday of two girls who both, between the two of them, had tried to commit suicide about 10 times because they just couldn't, they could not, they could not, they could not adjust to life. How many know life is a hell of a thing? Sorry, I couldn't figure out any other way to say that. How many know life is hell? Come on, say amen, somebody. I mean, I, I mean, let's let's talk for a minute. I, I determined the other day, Pastor Coachman, that I'm going to give this 365 day offering. I made up my mind that I'm going to give an offering that is acceptable to God. That's the key word, key word right there because of all of his goodness and his mercy that he has demonstrated in my life over 360 some odd days or 30 some odd days this year. And so I said, the church is doing this. I'm not trying to raise money. I'm trying to raise my faith. And I know that in the Christmas holidays, I'm typically used to spending money on myself why not take a little bit of the money that I don't have that I spend on kids that haven't been good and that I put up people who haven't been naughty or nice come on say amen and why not I just raise up an offering at the end of the year that just simply says to God thank you but see so many of us so many of us get trapped because we've seen God do so much in our lives that we've actually gotten comfortable with what he does. In other words, the play has worn you out. Have you ever seen a rerun before? You watch the television show and, and you and now some of them, you know, like I can watch Beverly Hillbillies all the time. Y'all forgive me. I know I'm just 36 years old, but y'all pray for me. I just think Granny is funny and I could watch the same episode. I could watch the Cosby show over and over and over again. Y'all forgive me. I, my, my Dallas Cowboys, I, I watch the same game. I watch Sports Center. Come on now. Come on, fellas. All the fellas that watch Sports Center in here, admit it. They show the same thing over and over. When you go from Sports Center to PTI to Around the Horn to First Take, all they're doing is giving you different ways of telling you the same thing. But we just love to hear the same thing over and over and over again. If the Browns win one game, come on in here, somebody. Hey, Carl Poole, where you at, man? I don't know. Is he here? I mean, I know Robert Moore is a fan, but some of y'all Browns fans, because they win so few and far between, how many know when they win? You watch SportsCenter over and over. Let me see Trent Richardson cross the goal line one more time. May not see that again, right? Yeah. So I've noticed that when it comes to unspiritual things, we are willing to sit, listen, and take stuff in. I'll enjoy Granny on the Beverly Hillbillies. I'll repeat behavior in the flesh, and it never bores me. But why do we get bored with God? How come God can't move you? How come you can't? So for 2,000 years, what happened was is that God's people started getting bored of the play. They started getting bored. So who had to come? Anybody know in here? Come on, Jesus. The Bible says when Christ came. In other words, the monotony of church. Oh, I feel like preaching today. The monotony of doing the same. And we got to be careful, man. 
Those of us that do this thing all the time, that we're always ministering and you're going from church to church, tell the truth. It's easy, Mike. It's easy when you're doing this over and over again because uh, they, they, they say that, that uh, what, what is it, uh, about repetition and how, how it becomes mundane, huh? Yeah, yeah, it deepens the impression. But there's also this notion that the more repetitious we become in our behavior, the more familiar we become with things. I heard Pastor Coxum saying Sabbath school downstairs. He said, yo, his dad had to tell him straight up. He was like, look, I'm not your peer, dude. Dude, we're not, dude, we're not on the same level. Watch, check who you're dealing with. Anybody ever had parents to tell you that kind of thing? Yo, yo, come on now. My dad was funny about it too. He would, he would raise his voice. But listen, we had to recognize that one of the reasons why we get so comfortable with church is because we let the monotony drive us crazy. And the monotony is not God's fault, it's your fault. Anybody just tired of the same experience? Tired of the same walk? Tired of the same prayer life? I mean, I'm reading, I'm reading, I'm reading, I'm reading the book of Acts and I'm seeing what God is doing when they had no iPads, they had no gas, they had no cars, they had, I mean, they had nothing. It was just 12 of them, uh, give or take 120. And the Bible says when they got serious about God, when they got serious about repentance, when they got serious about saying, come on, God, we're ready for a new thing now. We have been with you for three and a half years, but that was not enough. We need now an outpouring. Oh, anybody in here need fresh rain today? You need an out. Come on, talk to me. An outpouring, a, f- a refreshing, a quickening. Any dry and thirsty folk in here today that just want a bestowal, a quickening of God's spirit? If your life is getting spiritually boring, it's because there's no power in your life. When Christ came, and so as we look at the text. Your boy Paul, man, in Hebrews, as some scholars suggest, is like trying to get these Jews, these Bible people to see, yo, y'all have all this stuff. You got all this information. You sit up in front of the word on a regular basis. You got Bibles and you got Sabbath school lessons and you got red books and you got your own experience. Oh, can we talk about that for a minute? Forget the Bible. Forget the testimonies. Forget the Sabbath school. Forget the sermons. How many can testify in here today that you have enough experience in your life that you know that God is real? Can, can anybody admit that today? That, that for sure, if there's one thing I know for sure, it's that God is real, right? Now, I'm telling you, if your walk is boring to you, it's probably boring to the world. And I submit to you today that one of the reasons why church people are not doing very good at getting non-church people to become church people is because church people are not attractive to worldly people. Now, what you're, you, I know what you're thinking right now. You're saying to me, that's because our lives are so holy and, and people don't want to live holy. Let me ask you a question right here. For somebody like these two girls I put on video last night, for, for somebody who, who, who has no sense of self, no sense of identity, has tried to kill themselves uh, multiple times, don't sit here and tell me that they don't want the joy that you have. Don't lie to me. Don't, don't sit up here and tell me it's our message and that people don't want to live right. Nobody wants to go to church. No, they don't want the kind of walk that you have because your walk is fake. Your walk is not real. Your walk lacks power. Oh, pastor, how are you going to call my walk fake? Let me tell you how it's fake. Listen, if I ask, if I was a football player, right? If I, if I went around telling everybody I play for the Browns, right? You would want to see me at the field on Sunday, right? Listen, I, if I said I am, I am the starting running back for the Browns and, 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 I, and I start telling you all my skill sets, your thing is this dude is lying. But the only way we can prove that is by if he's at the field and if he does something. Let me tell you something. I know you're saying you're not fake, but I'm going to be the first to admit it. I'm a hypocrite. Can I tell you why? Because you think better about me than I really am. There is an inconsistency about your perception of me and the reality. Oh, come on. Nobody want to talk to me in here today. Let's be honest. People think better about us than we actually are. Okay, I got seven amens there. Let's try it one more time. If the truth be told, people's, your, your reputation exceeds your character. Amen. So... The writer is trying to teach us 
that what is needed is not more. Look, now, now you got to carry that thing right, though. Uh, you, you can't just hold the Bible. This, this, this ain't a saved person, but. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God bless you. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Oh, he may not come when you want him, but he's always on time. We be may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Like, no, seriously, I'm telling you that that kind of thing is not what we're talking about. I don't care if you don't wear jewelry. I don't, I don't care if your breath stank because you eat garlic all the time because you're super healthy. Like, for real, look, listen, I don't care how much carrot juice you drink, right? I mean, come on, y'all, let's be real. Come on, talk, talk to your boy. I've been going for a long. I need to know that, my, that y'all still love me. Talk to me now. Look, at the end of the day, are we honest in here? Like, what kind of car you drive and, and like, what, what your family looks like from the outside? Come on, God knows. God knows for real. God knows. God knows. God knows. That there is a distance between reputation and character. And so the most holy place teaches us about what's important. The most holy place was not powerful simply because of its gold and the beauty of it and the, the, the exquisite nature of it. I heard one scholar say that the Ark of the Covenant, if it were found today, would be worth $200 million. Gold inside and outside. Overlaid with gold, acacia wood, straight up. Another scholar suggested it'd be priceless. I mean, yeah, you know, your boy, uh, what's his name? Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones, he's been looking for it. If you go online, people are looking for it. But remember now, I want to ask you a question. Can we do a quick quiz? I'm almost done. Can we talk real quick? What was, uh, and you gotta, I got a cheat sheet for you on the screen. What was it that made the Ark of the Covenant and the most holy place holy or special in the first place? Fire back at me. The presence of God. And there is, I was almost tempted to preach this, Pastor. There was a time where the people of God had, had started to worship. They started worshiping. This is bothering somebody right now. They started, they started, they started worshiping furniture. And so it was confusing, too, because Uzzah, what did Uzzah do? He reached his hand out to touch the ark, and he did what? He died. But the ark didn't kill him. God did. And so there came a point, you read the book of Kings, where the priests and the people of God had gotten so caught up in all of this, and all, and all of that, and all of this, and all of that, and all of this, and all of that, that the Bible says that they took the ark out with them into battle. And the Bible says that Eli cried out, Ichabod. Ichabod meaning the glory has departed. The only thing that makes this building special, the only thing that makes you special, the only thing that makes a pulpit special. Look, all these things are used for service. This thing is not no more holy than the toilets that we have in here. I want you to treat them toilets just as nice as you treat this pulpit. This stuff ain't special. This stuff's going to burn. What makes anything holy is the presence of God. That's holiness. Now, so in the most holy place, in the most holy place, I don't have time to go through the other parts, but y'all know, one of the things you'll know about the sanctuary, go to the next slide for me, guys. I, I didn't bring my remote. Go to the next slide for me. One of the things that we discover about the most holy place if you look at, the, look, look at the tabernacle as best as you can see, in the outer court, the main purpose of the outer court was to deal with your sin, right? That was the purpose, deal with your sin, right? And you would think that you're done, right? You come up, you got this big altar, and then you got to cut it. Bible says you had to cut the neck yourself. I used to always think the priest did it. No, you take out the knife and kill it. Why? Symbolizing to us that it wasn't your, your daddy's sins that killed Jesus. Come on in here. Come on. What are y'all? Come on. Who killed Jesus? We did. Get it clear in your mind. They slit the throat. They were done. After that, they had to trust the priest. The priest's next move was, because he was carrying the blood, which means he was carrying the sin, he then went where, Pastor Coxon? He had to go to the labor. And the labor had mirrors in there to remind us that once you deal with sin in the beginning, doesn't mean you're done. 
Oh, I wish the church would get this part, Simone Cameron. I wish people would get the notion that I'm not, he's not done with me yet. Stop it. Stop this snooty, this bougie, this got your nose in the air because you don't smoke no more. Okay, you don't smoke weed, but you smoke people all the time. You come on, come on now, for real. And listen, the, the best lesson that I have learned that I almost feel like passing, the thing that the sanctuary is teaching us is that the only thing that if it had not been for this system, then there would be no way to deal with our sin. What God was simply saying is, I'm going to put an imperfect system in place just so that I can be with you. Let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell among them. If they don't make a sanctuary, I'm going to kill them. You should be dead. I don't care how many gray hairs you got in your head. I don't care how long your skirt is. I don't care how much Bible you talk back to your boy. I don't care how many choirs you've sung in, how many Bible studies you've given, how many times you've preached. I ought to be dead. Have I got a witness in here today? The only reason I'm alive is because of the mercy of God. Period. So, well, uh, so here it goes. You got this labor and see myself. Then the next phase of our walk with God, because this really reveals the levels of holiness. The outer court was not as holy as the holy place. And the holy place was obviously not as holy as the most holy place. And I, I want you to get this. It's good to write down. What makes the thing holy is the presence of God, right? So watch this. Chew on this for a minute. Holiness is not based on perfection. Holiness is based on proximity. Can you work with that? In other words, we have taught people for so long that the, uh, the most obvious Kevin Cameron stuff that I used to struggle with, I don't struggle no more. So that makes me holy. How I look makes me holy. Well, well, guess what? According to the Bible in the sanctuary, what was most holy was the thing that was closest to the presence of God. Now, when I look throughout scripture, I see several examples of people that you would have never called holy. Come on, man. Abraham joined our church and he said, God told me. To, and he married. God told me. First, now he rationalized this to go and uh, go and find Hagar. So. Uh, any of y'all got daughters out there that I can use to fulfill God's purpose? Come on. Y'all would never say Abraham up in this church. And then old boy came back and says, God told me. To kill my son. David. Would you have accepted him here? Dude danced out of his ephod. Uh, your boy David went in. You know why he went in? Because God should have killed him when Uzzah touched the ark. There's some folks that have died where you should have died. And the Bible says, well, Mary Magdalene is another example. You remember Martha? Martha was cooking and she was, you know, she was busy. And, you know, she just knew she was serving the Lord. And the Lord comes out and you would think, yeah, anybody ever cooked for a bunch of folks? Some of y'all about to do that now. I mean, it's so easy to feel unappreciated, especially when they done ate all your food and then ain't nobody staying around to help with dishes. Come on, y'all in here. Y'all some Negroes when y'all do that. This Christmas, if somebody spends the time in the kitchen and labors and cooks and you go in there and you ask them to help, you go, you take your butt in there and at least wash that macaroni and cheese crusted pan that you ate all of it from. That's the least you can do. How did I get on that? I don't know. That bothers me. You know what I'm saying? And so, so Martha was like, yo, I mean, yes, I'm serving Jesus. We got to eat. Jesus came here to eat. But your girl Mary, she's just sitting at his feet. Just worshiping, thanking him, God. And then your boy Jesus has a nerve to say, yeah, yeah. I just want to take a moment right now to thank Mary. Because she has chosen the greater parts. She has ministered and she has worshipped me. Look, none of these people would be welcome in our church because our standard of righteousness is different from God's. God's standard of righteousness is not what we see with our eyes, but what is seen with the eyes of God in the heart of a person. That's why the inner work of Christ is the thing that matters and not your reputation. Your reputation can go to hell too. So that's two times. 
and it will. The only thing we're taking to heaven is our character. Reputation is what people think about you, but character is what God knows about you. So let's go to the most holy place. Now, I'm almost done. There's only one, there is only really one piece of furniture in the holy place. It's it. Everything else got a whole bunch of stuff going on. One thing. Ark of the Covenant. Gold. Cherubims on top, leaning over. On both sides. The Bible says that the cover, the mercy seat, is a part of this contraption called the Ark. The word Ark literally means container. Stay with me. Stay with me. Stay with me. Ark means what? That's it. It don't even got a holy name. It just means box. The same word used for Ark is the same word they use for Joseph when they put his bones in a coffin. The word ark literally means coffin. Now, I could preach that, but... <laughs> oh, oh, man. I mean, let me just throw this out here. I really believe that the next level in God is dying. God, need, God, God needs to see some dead parts. It is through the dead parts that God's life and his power is resurrected in us. And so you just have this simple piece, exquisite, yes, beautiful, yes, uh, ornate, yes, but not really that special, except that during the day there was a cloud that sat on it. And at night there was fire that sat on it. Now, just, uh, I just need to wrestle with this for a minute. Pastor Coatsum, it was a miracle for God to even put himself in a tent in the first place. The tent should have caught on fire or froze to death. And when God's presence came down in the midst of the people, every last one of them should have ceased to exist as he was on his way. God is holy. Oh, you better hear me in here today. And, And wherever God is, is holy. That's why I've been telling you that the church ain't holy. You know, there's a scripture in Hebrews that says... And I'm talking about the building, the scripture in Hebrews that says God in Acts rather. He says, Paul, as, as Peter is preaching, he says, God does not dwell in temples or things made by the hands of man. You didn't know that was in the Bible, did you? He said, but he dwells in the hearts of you. Are, so what is holy? I have noticed how and you're going to hear this over and over again. I got a book coming out on that because I got to write something about this. The thing is, is we treat stuff better than we treat God's people. I, it's amazing, Craig. I, I, over my ministry, I've had people tell me, tell your kids, get off the platform. Don't stand here. I get all that. Look, I'm not trying to, don't do this. Don't touch that. Don't move this. Put some gloves on because you can't touch this. You can't do that. Yada, yada, yada. Okay, so let me ask you a question. Can I ask you a question? Can we talk for a minute? Can we talk for a minute? Now, let's just totally ignore the Bible verse we just read, right? That just simply says that this stuff can't be holy, right? But let me ask you this. Why is it that it is more easy for us to treat objects better than it is for us to treat people. We won't put our mouth or our hands on a table, but we'll put our mouth and our hands on God's people. Which thing do you think bothers him more? That you braced, that you bumped up against a communion table, or that you put your mouth on one of God's I don't care what they did. I don't care where they've been. I don't care what they did to you. They belong to touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm. You better recognize that God's people are holy. Even if they treat you unholy, you are not to mistreat God's people. The sanctuary can never be a building. The sanctuary is where God dwells and God dwells in people. So, the last thing I want to share with you is that the ark then represents not Christ, but it represents us. Hit me the next slide. I want you to get a visual on this. The ark had two pieces. It had the container and it had the lid. The lid or the cover was called the Mercy seat. All right, let's try that one more time. The ark was a container. Represents us. That's what we are. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, we have this treasure in earth in vessel that the excellency be of Christ and not of us. So it's what God is doing in us, right? Stay with me now. 
So the power, the power of God lives in the ark, but the ark is not God. But the lid or the mercy seat represents Jesus Christ. Oh, come on. Can can you come with me for a second? There were three things in the ark that show us how God is trying to pull us out of our monotony. Let's go through it very quickly. Go back to uh, Hebrews 9 verses 1 around verses uh, 3. Make these three points and get on out your way. Amen. Number one, there are three things. The first thing the Bible says, according to uh, Hebrews chapter 9 and around uh, verse 3, it says there was a pot of manna. What was in there? All right. The second thing that was in there is there was Aaron's butted staff. What was it, everybody? Put it back on the screen for me. And then the third thing that was on there inside the ark were the Ten Commandments. Now, these three things represent three things that should be in our life that will move us to a most holy place experience with God. Y'all ready for this? How many really want to get there? I don't think we do. One of the things I've noticed about the spirit of God, my wife and I said this all to God. When God's spirit comes in, there are a couple things that happen. Sin's got to go. Changes have got to be made. Right? And generally, watch this. Listen very carefully. This is where I am right now with God. I prayed about this this morning on the prayer line. Generally, God is going to call you to do something that's outside of your realm of belief. God is always, Tammy, he is always trying to push us. Come here, Doc. Come over here. This is you. You've been on this side of life for a while. Outer court, holy place. Yeah, you just love a good preacher and you love some good singing and you love church, but nobody really knows on your job that you're fired up about God. Nobody's, you've never really led anybody to Christ. God has told you in Walmart sometimes, go and minister to that sister. Anybody, I, 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 admit, I, I get it, I admit it. Uh, there have been times the Spirit of God says, go and tell that person thus and so. And in my mind, I'm like, whoa, pride, hold on, I can't do that because if I'm wrong, I'm going to look like a fool. See, those kinds of people, ridiculous people, radical faith people, they stay right here, their whole Christian experience. And all they do is just turn around and they see the same thing over and over again. And so what happens is one day you get to the altar of incense and you say, God, I want you to come into my life. How many of you, we all pray that. Holy Spirit, at the end of the service, we're going to be down at the altar. God, come in. Spirit, take over. I don't want to go there no more. I'm tired. I want to come out of this thing. Lord, I want to do your will. But if the truth be told, in the back of our minds, we are still saying to ourselves, I ain't giving this up, though. And so what God says is, okay, since you prayed for it, I'm going to help you. So what God does is, he says, cancer. Then what God does is, he says, children that act a fool. Then what God does says your marriage and what God does say is your finances and what God and see and all the while what God is doing is God is pushing you to the most holy kind of relationship with him where you can get those three characteristics. I'm going to break down in a second. But the problem with us is when God is pushing us, we turn around and say the devil is busy. Wait a minute. You just prayed that God would move you to the next level of your walk with him. God starts pushing you. God starts increasing the temperature. God starts making things uncomfortable. God starts taking stuff away. God starts increasing the pressure. And then you start saying the devil is busy. Folks start talking about you. The devil is busy. Well, you asked for more love. So now that God has put enemies in your life, he's trying to teach you love. How are you going to love people if they're always treating you right? The only way I've learned how to love is when God has put people in my life on purpose that give me hell. That's three times. Stop praying. Shut up then. Stop praying. Stop asking to become like Jesus if when he starts trying to work in your life, you start blaming his work on the devil. Shut up. Stop praying. Stop asking. Serve your husband. Serve your wife. I know that ain't right, but Negro, you ain't right. God still hangs in there with you. God, come on now. God.
God should have kicked your butt and kicked you out a long time ago. You got no right to be impatient with other people. Can I get a witness in here? The three things real quick. First, the pot of manna represents trusting God as provider. Y'all remember the story? Children of Israel, they just got delivered. We so, we so dumb, man. Y'all forgive me. We just, this is not politically correct, but I'm just going to say, we are just so dense sometimes. God just pulled them out of slavery. The first thing they do is start complaining, Craig. We don't got nothing to eat. We want the flesh pots of Egypt. Take us back. Take us back. Are you... Go back for real? And so what God did is he could have killed them, but what he did was he sent manna from heaven. (laughs) I thought I was going to get a shout on that. Give me something right there. Yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. He had to do that because you wouldn't do it. God sent manna. Did you hear what I just said? God sent food from heaven's grocery store. Who does that but our God? And the first thing that we must understand if we are going to go to the next level in our relationship with God is that we must trust him that he will provide. No matter where you are and what you're doing and what you're going through and how bad it looks, you have got to raise your voice and declare that my God shall supply all of my need according to his riches and glory. He will not suffer his foot to be moved, but the Lord will keep you. How many know trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not? He, anybody know he is, a, he, he is a provider. First thing that you got to get, I'm telling you, radical Christians that live outside of the box where their glory extends outside of the confines of the tabernacle are the kind of Christians that got dumb, stupid faith. They're not sitting around calculating if it costs, if, if we got enough money. They're not sitting around trying to figure out if they, if they are good enough, if they have enough resources. And this is where I want the Holy Spirit to get me. I want to get to a place where I am willing to do the ridiculous for God. I'm tired of living in this mundane thing where I'm not seeing the outpouring of God's miracles. This is not what church is supposed to be. Where is the power of God? Trust him to be your provider. Return your tithe. One of my buddies told me today, he said, Pastor, you know, you know, I've, I've wrestled with this thing. And he said, one of the things about it is, is he said, when you've been unfaithful for so long, you feel like what's the use of starting to be faithful now? Some of y'all have been there. But can I tell you something? That's the enemy's way of making you think that God is mad at you. God, listen, can you imagine if God got mad at you? I'm saying when the thought begins to develop in his mind, you're dead. You're dead. Think of all the junk that you have done. If God, if God was mad at you, you would be dead. The Bible says his mercy endures forever. Saints of God, the Lord has put in my spirit strongly that there is a cloud over this church of unbelief relative to our finance that is going to send some of us to hell because we cannot go to the next level of trusting God with something as simple as money. Pastor, how can you call it simple? Because last time, the, the oh, I'm going to forgot what conference I'm at. Allegheny West Conference does not provide for me. Reason I know is because there have been days I had more month and bill than my check. Because of dumb stuff I did. Can I get a witness in here? Oh, and God would send somebody. God would send a raven. God would send a saint. God would send somebody who didn't know me. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Nor his seed begging for bread. Why not trust God again? I'm going, I'm going to the next level in God. You stealing. 
you robbing God at high noon? <laughs> Let me tell you something about trusting God as provider. If you live life in the common sense, you are going to get the common. I have never seen anybody broke because they gave too much. Show them to me. I'm waiting right now. Tell me somebody who has, who has, who has just given themselves into utter poverty. And don't call, me impo- call yourself impoverished living in the United States. If you lost your job in your house today, you at least can sleep on a street. Guess what? There's some folk in other countries that have to sleep in the desert where there are soldiers and snakes and scorpions that will devour their lives. You can go in relative peace and go to a halfway house. You got rich people problems. Rich people problems are problems we have when we say our our cable got cut off. I'm believing God to get it back on again. My cell phone bill is not paid. I, and you praying, God, send that. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to be honest. Now, some of you may God, pray to God all you want for a miracle for your cell phone to get turned on. He's not answering that. I'm sorry. I mean, this is my opinion. He's not answering Listen, man, have, come, pay your bills, manage your money, return your tithe, and expect God to. <laughs> God, I need you to move. I need, I need, I'm binding the enemy right now. What and God is saying about what you need me to move on for? God and the name, my swimming pool in the back is damaged. And I need the power of God to show up and fill my pool. I need God to fix my roof. I need my flat screen television. Ain't working no more. I need Lord to come in and come on, really? Come on, seriously? Oh, y'all pray for me. I got to go to the hospital. Rich people problems. In most countries, when folks get sick, there ain't no hospital for them to go to. Count your blessings. Count them one by one. The people that will praise God the most are people that live in the United States of America. Y'all should always praise God because you are never without. Don't sit up here and tell me that. Even back in the days when we was poor in slavery, at least y'all had chitlins to eat. Come on, say amen. At least you had the rinds of the collard greens to eat. At least you ate the gizzards because they wouldn't give you the stuff. Come on, talk to me in here. We weren't Adventists in slavery, by the way. Somebody, somebody messed up on that chitlins thing, boy. That thing bothers them. How many of y'all came out of stuff where all you had was beans and rice? Come on. And some cornbread. Huh? Or some rice and some grape. Listen, I'm telling you right now, if you were eating like that, then you were part of the 10% most rich people in the world. Second thing that was in there that we had to learn is there was Aaron's butted rod. Now, this talks about Christ's authority in our lives. Trusting God, watch this, guys, to tell us to do, to sin who he wants to sin. This, this is the point where we get to a place where we tr- It's easy to trust God for provision. But when we start trusting God to tell us what to do with our lives. The story behind this is Korah, Dathan, and Abiram raised up and said, we don't think Moses should be our leader. Pastor Moore. We're just as deep as he. I went to the seminary too. What did he know? We all got the same Bible. How Moses think he know more than us? I crossed the Red Sea just like he did. I saw God send manna just like he did. And the Bible says they began to run their mouths and put their mouth on the leader. And God said to Moses, yo, what you want me to do? How you want me to handle this? Moses said, Lord, just have mercy. Don't live. And while Moses was praying for mercy, God changed his mind. And as he is doing that, he begins to open up the ground. Some of y'all should be dead. Amen. He opened up. The, they are standing there and they are. They got their fist pumping, talking about Moses. They got wagging their finger. They are dogging God's leaders. And simultaneously, God says, Moses, I'm sorry. I appreciate your prayer. I've had enough. Open up the ground. The Bible says that the ground began to open and they were swallowed up and were no more. And then for all the sympathizers, he sent a plague in the land and they died slowly. And so God says, put also in the ark 
Put Aaron's rod. What happened was, is God said, I want to show you that I choose who I want to choose in your life and you accept it. <laughs> Last one. We got to trust him as provider. Amen. We have to trust him as ruler. I can tell you to do whatever I want to do. <laughs> He's sovereign. <laughs> Woo! We don't mind him being savior, but we got a hard time with him being Lord. <laughs> Ooh. The third thing is, he says, I want you to put the Ten Commandments in there. Yeah. Well, in closing, y'all know the first thing that they thought of when they saw the Ten Commandments going in there. Oh, no. Oh, the Ten Commandments. Moses, why you got to put that in there, man? Please. Mm, no, no, no. And that reminds us of the golden calf. Mm. While God is up there making provision for us, being the Lord of our lives, we got impatient with God and we got a replacement for God. The Bible says when Moses came down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments in his hand, he was so blown away. They were literally having an orgy with those of you who study the text. And they started worshiping. They went back to Egypt worship. And, 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 and Moses was so blown away that he dropped the Ten Commandments. God says once when he wrote them the second time after they moved forward, he said, now take these sacred oracles of my word and put them in the Ark of the Covenant. So there are three things that will be in your life. You need to have the manna of God's word, which helps you to trust him as provider. You need to have in your life Aaron's rod that is budded that demonstrates that God can do and tell you to go. This is next level Christianity. Whatever he tells you to do, you're willing to do it. And the third thing is, is you need to have understanding that he's your redeemer. Every time you see the law, you ought to realize you can't do it and you need God. Let me end this thing by saying this. I think that the most important part in the most holy place, one the ark, because that means we are. It was the mercy seat. Come here. Let me talk to you for a minute. I want you to get the picture here. Get the picture. <laughs> God sees in the box all the junk in your life. Right? His presence is raining down in uncontrollable, unbridled power. If there were no lid, no mercy seat, no, no go-between between God's presence and the junk in our lives, then the presence of God would have consumed the ark. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Can I get some help in here today? <laughs> so what God says is, he says, I'm going to show them a lesson about how I can live in their lives and become explosive in their lives. He says they must learn how to trust me as provider. They must learn how to trust me as ruler. They must learn how to trust me as redeemer. But they also need to learn how to trust me as being the merciful God that I am. The Bible says, <laughs> that he took the mercy seat and the presence of God did not destroy the contents because there was mercy. Have I got anybody in here today? That can testify. And I don't want to work you over on this. I want there to be heartfelt worship when I talk about mercy. I ain't going to raise my voice on this one. You ought to get on your feet by yourself, but you get up when you're ready to. But have you ever thought about the fact that God should have killed you? God should have eliminated you. God should have evaporated you at some point in your life. And the only reason why he did it is because in between you and God was mercy. Does anybody know what I'm talking about in here? The only reason why you're still here in church, the only reason why you got a long skirt on, whereas before you were laying on your back for nothing, the only reason you're here today is because of the mercy of God. The only reason why your children can call you daddy and mean it is not because of what you did, but because of what he did. It is because of the mercy of God. The only reason why you can even have a right mind when you should have lost your mind. I'm not trying to push you. I'm just testifying. It's because he kept your mind in perfect peace because of the mercy seat. Now I got a question for you. Have I got anybody in here today that knows that 
God is merciful and that his mercy endures forever and ever and ever. I should be dead, but his mercy. He should have killed me, but mercy. I should have lost my mind. Mercy. I should have took my life. Mercy. It is because of the Lord's mercy. Ain't no need to push anybody on that. How many know for yourself? Somebody told me a long time ago, grace is getting what you don't deserve. And mercy is preventing you from getting what you do deserve. Have I got somebody in here today that knows that you stand here today because of his mercy? Thank God for the mercy seat. Stand to your feet. Stay right where you are. I, I, I like telling this story. But uh, I told the saints earlier that um, I was about 10 years old and <laughs> my dad had this 1977 Chevy Suburban. It had Flowmasters. Gave you that whoom sound. Yeah had headers, engine was boarded out, but it looked a mess. Sounded good, looked a mess. We loved that van though, we loved it. We were at camp meeting, Allegheny East Conference, 10 years old, and you know me and my dad got that father-son relationship, and I was like, Dad, let me, uh, let me drive. <laughs> let me get behind this thing. Dad was like, okay, uh, it's nobody really out right now, so man, go on ahead. So we switched seats. I'm 11, I can barely reach the pedals, but I pull up. It didn't help at that point that I saw some of my friends coming, and they were ladies. Put a little lean in that thing. Come on in. <laughs> and my father the whole time is, boy, don't play. Don't play. Don't play. He says, remember, the power steering does not work. So he's sitting there next to me and I, <laughs> oh yeah, baby. <laughs> Turned out. But y'all know them, them cars back in the day had that delayed response with the torque and horsepower. <laughs> Well, that's like crack cocaine running through your veins, boy. Anybody that loves a car, you woo! Oh yeah, boom! Power in your foot, boom! Well, I got a little carried away. Boom! Pow! Truck takes off, going uphill. A turn was coming. No power steering. Happened so quick. I thought I, was, I thought I hit the brake. But it was really the accelerator. And so the turn was coming. And with my little muscles. <laughs> tried to make the turn, Dave. Didn't work out too good. Crashed into a fence. Almost hit a nearby school. Now here's the story. My dad, you know, <laughs> switched seats real quick. Move, boy. Boom. Next thing you know, people start coming out, security. And they said, uh, Ron, are you okay? Like, you know. <laughs> and this is my father's. I'll never forget it. I don't condone it, but I'll never forget it. He covered for me. He said, I'm all right. Just tired. He put me in the mercy seat. That's what he did. That's what he did. I was wrong. He took my place. Why won't you trust him? As your provider, as your ruler. What, what more? What? There's nothing else God can do to make you trust him more. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. Father in heaven right now.
We're asking for you to come into our lives. I'm praying right now for faith in your people. And there may be somebody here today, Lord, who needs faith to trust, to depend on God. You might just simply need to say, God's been good, Pastor, I admit it.